Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I'm delighted to have one of uh, two editors of a new book, The Myth Awakens, Canon, Conservatism, and Fan Reception of Star Wars. Uh, it's edited by Ken Derry and John Lydon, and I'm happy to have uh, Ken here on the podcast to talk about the book and to uh, geek out with me about something that is clearly a subject of mutual interest that we share and that I know that a lot of listeners to this podcast share, the intersection of religion and science fiction. So Ken, welcome to the podcast and thanks for taking time out of your day to do this. Hey, thanks, James. This is fun. So how did this book come about? Let's uh, introduce people to that. I know you tell that story in yeah. the book, but give people a little bit about how this book came about. And then I have a, a question about, a follow-up question about that because one of the things you said in there, it was hard to believe, but it's <laughs> oh, true. Right. Yes. Um, so, uh, so this actually, the story gives me a chance to say something that I don't say in the book, which I possibly should have in the interest of transparency. But the book came about just um, uh, in, in a sort of administrative, um, organic way. And there's at the annual meeting of the American Academy of Religion, I'm the co-chair of the Religion, Film and Visual Culture Group. And so we were planning, you know, what, what we would put in our call for papers for the following year. So this would have been, now I'm getting my years mixed up, 2015. Uh, Force Awakens comes out in 2016, I think. <laughs> um, I'm very bad at remembering dates, even though they're very recent. Um, so uh, the trailer for The Force Awakens had just come out. And so someone at the meeting, and I don't remember who, uh, um, suggested that... Um, uh, possibly a good thing to put in the call for papers or an interesting thing would be to think about um, Star Wars and myth and conservatism because there had been a lot of angry responses to the trailer for The Force Awakens. Um, in, in particular, there were reactions uh, to seeing a black stormtrooper. Um, that was sort of the first image of the first trailer um, uh, as Boyega's sort of head pops up into the screen. Um, and so, so that's what we did. We just put the call out. Um, we got a number of uh, papers and then we, uh, had a session the following year. Um, and by that point, um, the film was out and there were reactions to the film. Um, and, uh, we could sort of deal with that. Um, my involvement was kind of tangential and this is the thing I don't mention in the book. Um, it was really just because I was the co-chair and we needed a respondent and we didn't have anybody. Um, so I, I became the respondent of the session and then I got sort of nominated to, uh, to try to put the book together. Um, and then I, I asked or pleaded with John uh, to do this with me. Um, and so the confession is that, I mean, I haven't actually been someone who's thought a lot about Star Wars in the past. Um, so I feel a little bit like a dilettante in this whole area. Um, so it's weird, weird in a way for me, for it to be me that's put this book together or one of the people who put the book together um, because uh, as much as I've been involved, you know, um, kind of intensively with, uh, pop culture and religion. I haven't really specifically done much with Star Wars. Um, so that, that seemed a bit, um, everybody else involved in the project knows much more about this than I do. And that's actually something I hope we'll come back to a little later, which is, you know, what's the relationship between fandom and the study of fandom, which I think there are interesting parallels potentially between, you know, the minefield that is studying religion and, you know, what happens if you have a vested interest, uh, uh, yeah, whether it's a positive one or a negative one. But um, in fandom, it seems uh, we, we potentially face similar things. But of course, that's one of the things that makes the intersection of any fandom franchise, uh, be it sci-fi, fantasy, anything else, and religion, you know, just so very fascinating. And um, 
engaging for people in our fields. Yeah. Um, but one of the things you mentioned in the book, and I was like, no, it can't, it can't be true, right? <laughs> I, I was like Luke Skywalker, right? Uh, towards the end of uh, uh, you know, Empire Strikes right, Back. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's not possible. Yeah. Um, but there has not been a, a previous book specifically on religion and Star Wars in the religious study sense, right? So no. Yeah, um, and I was terrified to write that uh, sentence actually, yeah, um, because I thought for sure I have this, this. I have to be wrong about this, and so I'm I'm very happy to hear that you're not telling me now that I was wrong. Um, I, I canvassed as many people as I could. I did you know all of the sort of standard academic researchy things, um, and I couldn't unearth anything. Um, as much as I found you know dozens upon dozens of books about religion and Star Wars, none of them were written by religion scholars or edited by religion scholars or you know comprised mostly of religion scholars. So uh, yeah, that was that was really shocking because that was supposed to be. I mean, that was how I was going to start the introduction was by saying, okay, here are these other books on religion and Star Wars by religion scholars, and this is what our book is adding to the conversation. But it turns out there isn't a conversation, um, and that was very shocking. Yeah, I was I was racking my brains. I started googling, and I I look I w- went into my office and looked at my uh, religion science fiction collection, which right. is not comprehensive, I'm sure, but I think is at least representative. And there are books written by religious people by people who we might classify as theologians who are involved in, you know, seminary or are pastors or things like that, uh, as well as people, you know, talking from a Buddhist perspective, as well as, you know, Christian, other perspectives, right. talking about Star Wars in relation to their faith. But the study of religion and Star Wars in the sense of academic religious studies, you know, as a secular discipline, as something that's something different from theology, uh, articulating a viewpoint from an insider's perspective. How did we miss that this thing was not yeah. out there? Um, I think it's interesting how much you know we can miss of you know in our reading, and of course you know whether one studies ancient sacred texts and suddenly realizes something about them, or one is a fan of something and suddenly realizes something, or one reads a lot of books on a particular topic and doesn't realize what one hasn't read. Um, it just brings home to me that it's harder to notice what's not there than what's there. Well, it's the thing about blind spots, right? Is that you can't see them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So thank you for um, filling this uh, space or at least opening what hopefully will be is a floodgate. Right. And so what, what should be next? Right. Um, We'll talk more about what's in the book, but what do we hope, what can we hope comes through this floodgate now that people will suddenly say, Oh my gosh, he's right. And right. I need to write a book. I'm, I'm hoping to get tenure or I'm, I just think this subject is really interesting. I was wondering what to write about. What are I, some I, of the details that people should be digging into and take inspiration from and say, hey, we've got to uh, make up for this, this, uh, this gap in the field? Well, the, the tenure comment is interesting because my suspicion is that for most people, um, what you shouldn't do um, to get tenure is write a book <laughs> on religion and Star Wars. Um, for some for the reasons that I outlined in the in my my introduction, um, which I think are con- reasons connected to the the fact that there is no book on this so far, um, th- there there certainly is a, a growing um, and in many ways very sort of vibrant uh, field of the study of religion and popular culture, but it's still very marginalized within the larger um, the larger academic field uh, of religion, um, and to the extent that uh, people like I know specific people, it's also happened to me um, where 
your work is kind of dismissed out of hand, um, like without any actual engagement, just because of the focus of the study. Um, and so, uh, so when I went up for, it's not called, I'm, I'm in the teaching stream. So when I went up for okay. promotion, it's not called tenure, um, but it's sort of the teaching stream equivalent of tenure. Uh, the, the one negative comment uh, on my file, and it was quite um, uh, emphatically negative, um, was the degree to which I was using popular culture in the classroom. So that wasn't even at the level of research, right? So in the classroom where you would think that, um, you know, there'd be a little bit more room for uh, that allowing popular culture if it's working pedagogically, um, there was still this pushback um, that this is not appropriate. Um, you know, we still have this uh, kind of ingrained sense of, of you know, what matters or what's important. Um, and those words I'm using with you know, quotation marks, you know, what matters and what's important and what doesn't, this kind of high, low, you know, quote unquote, um, cultural divide, uh, which I, I'm really shocked uh, still that this exists, um, you know, given, I mean, you know, I mean, starting with, I mean, not just starting with, but I mean, very influentially, right? Um, Bart writes about this in mythologies that, you know, we should be looking at, you know, all kinds of cultural products. And, you know, he talks about wrestling and commercials and so forth. Um, and, you know, Terry Eagleton writing years ago uh, in his um, literary theory book about, you know, definitions of literature are, I mean, really, um, they are themselves fictions. Um, and, uh, you know, that these sort of um, very contrived notions of quality shouldn't be defining what we study and why we study it, um, but they do. Um, and so people, I think, uh, can actually endanger their careers, um, you know, if they, if they write about this stuff early on. Um, and yeah, as I said, I know people who've been warned off this and people who've um, been sort of chastised for, you know, sort of trying to move into areas of, of popular culture. So, uh, so, so that's a problem, um, I think, in, in the field. And that, that's reflective of larger uh, issues, I think. Um, that are problematic that have to do with sort of ego and status and and so forth, right? And you know, individual uh, kind of star-like achievement, you know. And I use star also in quotation marks because you know, people who are famous and important in the academic world, <laughs> nobody else has heard of, right? Generally speaking, uh, so it's a very funny right. kind of fame and importance. Um, but in terms of what we should be doing, um, gosh, uh, like I I I think I, ideally, um, I mean, sort of very broadly, uh, people should study what they think is interesting and what they think matters um, and, and shouldn't feel constrained um, by these kind of categories of what other people think matters or doesn't matter. Um, but specifically, I mean, trying to think of stuff that I think of as uh, important that people haven't touched. Um, I mean, one thing that comes to mind uh, is, is actually the study of Disney films. Um, uh, I can only think of one book, which is Mark Pinsky's um, Gospel According to Disney, I think it's called. Uh, and he's a journalist. Um, so unless something's come out in the last couple of years, I don't think there's anything on uh, religion and Disney films, uh, which, which again, seems, that just seems silly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing. Uh, and, and then in terms of approaches, uh, um, this is kind of similar, is, is the study of music. So within religion and film, I mean, people aren't looking at music. And so one of our contributors, uh, Cutter Calloway, um, has, I still, I think the only book on music and religion and film, uh, which is Scoring Transcendence. And so he very graciously, you know, kind of uh, contributed a chapter to, to The Myth Awakens. Um, but yeah, that's just ignored. Um, and part of that has to do with our training, right? Like we we're sort of self-perpetuating, right? People in religious studies typically are trained, um, you know, well, traditionally in the study of texts, you know, more often now, you know, that you have more people now 
um, doing ethnographies and ritual studies mm -hmm. and things like that. But we're still dominated by textual studies. Um, and so, you know, one of the criticisms of the religion and film field is that it, we, too many of us treat film as text. Um, but that's our training. So it's kind of hard to break out of that. But, you know, Cutter is a musician. He's got a musical background, right? So this is territory that's familiar uh, to him. So you know, part of this is kind of make, trying to bring people into religious studies, maybe who have a more diverse set of tools. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the things that I, I loved about the, the book is that it really illustrates well that, you know, I mean, religion is a, a field, right? Uh, it's not a discipline per se. It's a place where we use these very di various disciplinary tools from history, right? Which is, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, your own background, uh, textual study, study of the ancient world, but also anthropology, uh, psychology, race and gender studies. Um, my my so, background is actually literary studies. Okay. Yeah. So I did my PhD in religion and literature. Uh, so I'm very much a text person. So doing okay. film at all um, was, and that, that came about accidentally. Um, as a graduate student, uh, a mm. course opened up. Um, an instructor was, was gone who had taught religion and film, and uh, there wasn't an opportunity to teach the religion and lit course. Um, so I applied for the film course and, uh, and, and was able to teach that as a graduate student so that I you know, could continue to um, buy food and uh, mm. live, in a, live in a home and so forth. Um, so that's where the film thing for me started. So it was very, very much kind of accidental. Um, yeah. Very much in line with a lot of people in the field who come out of textual studies in some way. Mm. Yeah, I'm really struck by what you said about, you know, the institutional context and some of the, the pushback, you know, from uh, colleagues who have what I personally would regard as a, a somewhat antiquated notion of what uh, scholars should be doing and what is an appropriate object of study. But it's, it reminded me so much of something that I'd heard about um, a major scholar in, the, in a field of study that there's no doubt is legitimate in the study of religion, the study of ancient Gnosticism, right? But who had been talked out of working on the Mandaeans? Oh, uh, really? Because that doesn't lead naturally to a job, right? Uh, okay. In the way that studying the Coptic texts from Nagamadi right. does. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been involved in a project related to the Mandaeans recently, and heard that story, and I. I feel that both the, the work in science fiction, which started out as a side interest, but has led to all kinds of interesting things, including writing some science fiction, which has been um, thrilling and exciting, oh, yeah, but yeah. also working on the Mandaeans and doing other things like that, uh, branching out from New Testament, early Christianity, those kinds of things. Uh, teaching at an institution that has as its primary focus teaching and then research and then service, right? It's always those three things right. at an institution, but they're ordered sometimes and prioritized differently. Yep. There hasn't been the same pressure to teach or research some particular thing, right? Being in a relatively small program in a liberal arts kind of yeah. context, if you're studying something, teaching on something that gets students into classes and is doing serious religion stuff and is getting published in serious venues, then Oftentimes, my department chair didn't seem to to care what right. what I was doing as long as it was something, uh, you know, something that counts as research, and that they're judging more by, you know, do you get it published or do you get it published? Those kinds of things, and so I wonder whether different institutional contexts can support different kinds of research, and maybe sometimes, you know, there there's a place that can be naturally carved out where you might not expect it, right? Where research isn't to the fore, but precisely for that reason, 
you don't have to worry that you know you're a cog in this big New Testament yeah. machine. And if you yeah. if you move from Gospels to Paul, never mind from Gospels to Doctor Who or Star Wars or Star Trek uh, or the Mandaeans or anything else, that somehow you're going to be stepping on someone else's toes or you know causing the machine to stop functioning in some way. Right. It's it's interesting. I, I also wonder, uh, I think you're completely right, I, I guess, first of all, about institutional context. I mean, that certainly makes a difference. And I mean, my context is kind of um, interesting in that way, because I'm at, you know, a, a very large, um, very research focused um, institution. Um, but, you know, some years ago, they they created this sort of alternative um, faculty position, which is what I'm in, the teaching stream. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out that, uh, and so I'm not assessed uh, or evaluated on my um, research at all, unless it's specifically pedagogical research. Um, and so uh, the university like could care less what I write on <laughs> or if I publish okay. at all. Um, and that's incredibly liberating um, for me. And I've, I've talked to other people in the teaching stream who have found this also to be the case, you know, in, in, in different fields, right, in science and social science as well as, as humanities. Um, so that's been really quite nice. Like, I, And I also don't have to care about um, uh, where I publish something. So, you know, I'm, I'm much more interested in working with a publisher who, um, who's kind of agreeable, I guess, right. You know, who's helpful and agreeable. Um, and you know, who's, who's interested in the work that I'm doing rather than a publisher who necessarily, you know, has a particular kind of status within the academic world. Um, so I'm much more interested in sort of particular kinds of people, um, that I can, you know, uh, work with rather than, um, yeah, a sense of status. Like it's really incredibly liberating. I'm really happy that I don't have to worry about that. Um, and I, I, I was, it reminds me of before I got my job for a long time, I was sort of not officially in academia at all for about a decade, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was doing admin work at the university and I was sort of teaching on the side a bit and, uh, and just doing kind of, you know, a few publications because I wanted to. And again, I felt very free. Like I could just kind of do the stuff that I wanted to do um, because I, I had no expectation that I was going to get a job. Um, my expectation was very solidly that I was never getting a job. Um, and I was pretty comfortable with that. Um, and so uh, that, that sort of has helped me as well. Like I've been able to kind of continue that, um, you know, in, in my current position. Uh, but I do see also that, I mean, generally, generationally, um, there has, there seems to me this is very anecdotal and um, impressionistic, but there seems to be a shift. So, you know, younger scholars and, you know, this would be you know, graduate students as well as, you know, people in maybe the first uh, five or six years of their career. I mean, so many of those sorts of people that I've talked to are super interested in doing different kinds of things um, as well, even if they're coming out of very traditional, um, you know, fields like the studies or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I'm thinking someone like Kelly Murphy uh, in Michigan, you know, who's a biblical scholar and does a lot of really great work with um, gender and, and uh, biblical texts, but is super interested in zombies, um, has, has done work on zombies. Um, and, uh, and I think, yeah, I think we, my suspicion or my hope is that, that we'll see this happen more and more, um, you know, maybe dramatically. But I mean, the, the PhD students I'm talking to here in Toronto, I mean, so many of them are really interested in, uh, in this. Um, and, you know, they're kind of, you know, bracketing that interest right now. But I hope, you know, that uh, when and if they get jobs, um, you know, they'll be able to kind of uh, pursue those interests uh, without, you know, the kind of anxiety, I think, that, that many people have right now. Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope you're right. And that uh, the, the, the academy, um, the uh, sort of general sense of the culture of universities across the board will be one that recognizes that 
studying anything seriously and in a rigorous fashion, um, but especially something that is uh, widely uh, influential and popular and gets a lot of attention in our society is worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems funny that that's yeah. an argument that we have to make. Right? Yeah. It seems so odd. Yeah. Especially when, you know, studying religion in general is something that some people would think is a waste of time in certain contexts. Right. Right. And Absolutely. Yeah. Studying any religion other than this one particular one is viewed as not worthwhile by people who are adherents of whatever that one religion is sometimes. And so um, it seems like in our field, we ought to be able to say, there are things that are quasi-religious in about fandom and things like that that themselves are worthy of study. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Then, know, yeah, sorry. go ahead. No, go ahead. I don't know if you wanted to get back, you sort of uh, raised a point or a question early on, kind of in in the context of other things about um, uh, the relationship of scholars to the material. So, if you are mm -hmm. a fan writing about, uh, you know, say Star Wars, um, you know, is that possibly a problem? I, I don't know if you want to have a, a continue that conversation or, or have that conversation yeah that was actually what i was going to ask uh, when oh, we okay. uh, had that sort of little moment where we both started speaking at the same time so oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah i mean fandom does seem to parallel you know religious adherence in a sense um right it's not exactly the same as perhaps the religious adherence we're most familiar with but there there is at least some similarity. Uh, canon is a similarity across both. And um, actually, uh, as you may know or may not know, uh, invented a card game to help students learn about canon. Oh, no, that's neat. Yeah, and there are biblical studies as well as fandom decks. And so, oh, it's, yeah. Oh. Um, so there are, there are these interesting parallels and relationships. But obviously, one of the things that often is uh, treated as distinguishing religious studies from theology is whether one is involved in the tradition that one is talking about, right? Which gets very blurry and gets kind of, you know, there, there are issues about, you know, are those, how distinct are those and do they consistently remain distinct? But I think that talking about fandom actually helps us think about that because isn't it hard for a Star Wars fan to study Star Wars dispassionately? Or is it, Conversely, that only a Star Wars fan is likely to <laughs> dedicate the time to repeated reading of right. the sacred texts that's, that helps, you know, gives that necessary fam familiarity in order to be able to, to write about them. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, the question actually came up uh, last year's AAR in one of the religion and pop culture sessions. And I mean, there certainly was no consensus there. Um, you know, there was a, a sense that for some people, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's variable, right? For some people, it may be more difficult than for others. Um, you know, I, I make a comment in, I, I think, in, in my introduction about, um, in general, uh, scholars probably would feel more comfortable um, uh, disputing, you know, claims about, you know, uh, a Star Wars character or, or, you know, certain canonical readings of a Star Wars character than they might about Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad. Um, you know, and ironically, I, I realized after I wrote that, um, that's completely not true of me. Um, I didn't grow up in a particular religious tradition. So, um, so the pop culture things that I'm really attached to are actually more difficult for me to engage with dispassionately. Um, mm -hmm. And I hadn't kind of reflected on that when I wrote that sentence. I was sort of speaking very generically. Um, and uh, so for me, one of the struggles um, early on uh, was, uh, I guess, about 
10 years ago, I first started thinking about religion and superheroes and I grew up on superhero comics. And so I had a real attachment to them. Um, and I started off thinking about them in terms of religion in this very, um, I guess, my, you know, my initial sort of thought was not particularly critical or negatively critical. Um, it was just, you know, let's, you know, what, how, how can I apply, you know, certain tools and ideas um, to these narratives? And, uh, and, you know, quickly found myself, like, the, the first thing I, I thought about seriously was the film Iron Man, um, which I had quite liked when I'd seen it. Um, and then as soon as I started thinking about it critically, I was like, oh, no, right? this is horrifying. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and that I found kind of that was a bit of a struggle. Um, at the same time, you know, I mean, I still I was still able to sort of see that and, and write about it and talk about it. Um, and it's become it's become a useful sort of um, uh, touchstone for me in terms of relating to students who are upset. You know, if you, you know, point out something in the New Testament and if they're a Christian uh, and and, and then they get upset. Um, you know, I, I, it's not the same thing, I don't think, for me. I don't think I'm as upset as some of these students, um, you know, I've seen uh, can be. Um, but but that's, that is, for me, a point where I can relate. Um, because, I mean, I, I can't relate to people saying anything about Jesus and getting upset. Like, that's not a thing that bothers me. Um, but, uh, you know, but saying something about characters, right? You know, like, I'm very, very fond of Spider-Man. Um, and... Uh, uh, and you know, reading that character or those those stories um, in, a, in a negative way, um, yeah, I, I find a little bit disturbing. Um, but I, you know, it's it's certainly important and necessary. So yeah, it's, it's I think it really is an individual thing. Um, and just like you know, any other kind of study of religion, I mean, there are uh, I think advantages and disadvantages to being insiders and outsiders. Um, you know, but but ideally, kind of in the end, you know, whatever study you produce. Um, you know, needs to withstand, uh, you know, objective, uh, critical inquiry and scrutiny. Um, so, I mean, you need to be able to support what you're saying, right? Um, and, you know, if, you're, if you've got blind spots of that nature, right, where you're, you know, uh, ignoring, you know, the, whatever it is, right, the, the imperial politics or the sexism mm. uh, in a narrative, you know, presumably somebody will point that out to you. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the risk of I think any any kind of academic study, if it becomes insular, whether it's insular because of you know some kind of you know religious adherence or something like that, or for any other reason that you know if we stop being open to uh, challenges, right? Not that all challenges you know, end up having merit or anything like that, yeah. but but if we if we're not um, if we're not even hearing them and engaging with them or open to the possibility that someone could say, yeah, no, there's there's something going on here that you're not seeing and not engaging yeah. with, then you know, it becomes problematic for our field. Uh, so here's a question that uh, just occurred to me to, to ask. Um, hearing more about your, both your fandom and your uh, uh, sort of um, upbringing and things like that, does thinking about, okay, well, if, if somebody said something like this about Peter Parker, this is how I would feel, has that made you more empathetic to students who struggle with the things you're teaching them about a religious tradition that's important to them? <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, I don't do a lot of specific traditions uh, when I teach, um, but I do use examples and I teach religion and violence, right? So, you know, when mm -hmm. I do that, as much as I'm, I'm, you know, sort of framing it around kind of larger ideas, um, I'm using specific examples from religions um, to, to talk about those ideas. Uh, and, and that's always upsetting um, to students. And I'm aware of that, right? So, I mean, I try to do it in a way that's thoughtful, you know, that's supportive and challenging. Um, I also try to, um, I mean, my goal is never to simply, you know, tear, tear down people's faith, right? Um, you know, whatever that faith is in, uh, but to, to look at things as, as um, 
clearly as possible, which means I think, you know, recognizing just, I mean, very, on a very simple level, right. Uh, you know, sort of the good and the bad, um, you know, one of the films I talk about a lot in my first year course, uh, the introduction to the study of religion is the Lion King, um, which for me is a, is a great film to do this kind of work with um, because uh, because it does, I think, promote all kinds of what I would consider, you know, positive values of, you know, friendship and loyalty and, uh, and community and so forth. Um, but, but is also, you know, very patriarchal. Um, you know, there are a lot of problems with the, the presentation of Scar being darker than the other lions and being sort of coded as queer, it seems, um, which is a whole tradition of Disney villains, right? Um, being sort of coded that way. Uh, and so, um, so that's a nice example where, I mean, things don't have to be one or the other entirely. Um, and, and I can talk about that and then sort of connect um, that way of seeing the film uh, that's sort of, you know, as, as something complicated um, to the way we think about religion. Um, so, and I think fandom's the same way, right? I mean, fandom is complicated. Religion, religious adherence is complicated. Um, you know, so it's, you know, the, the responsibility is to kind of uh, dive into specifics and see what's, what's going on um, kind of on the ground level. Like what, what are people actually doing um, rather than kind of these overgeneralizations about texts and, 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 you know, members of a, of a community. Um, but I, I, yeah, it does help me be sympathetic. And I think it does, it helps me teach things um, in a way that's more helpful to students. Um, I, we actually had a weird conversation. I mean, weird in the sense that I was totally unprepared for it about Lady Gaga um, just last week in the same class. Uh, I had brought up Lady Gaga just as an example of sort of the ways in which religion and popular culture mix. Um, just looking at the, the use of the, the cross in, you know, the the album cover for the fame monster and uh, some students were immediately really upset um, uh, because it turns out, you know, in their perspective, Lady Gaga is very anti-Christian and this is an example of this because uh, she's using the, the cross in the word monster. Um, so that's, uh, she's, you know, and, and then they have all of these theories about how she's part of the Illuminati and so forth. And I was totally, oh yeah, I was very unprepared for that conversation, uh, but it was great uh, because we could talk about interpretation and, you know, how interpretation is complicated and, you know, what, what our interpretation is based on. And I mean, this all relates very strongly to, to, you know, I mean, how people relate to religious texts, right. Um, and how we see meaning um, and how we understand what things mean um, and how invested we are in, in those meanings. Um, yes. So it was quite nice. I mean, the students were quite divided in many ways um, because then other students were speaking up like, no, no, you know, she, she's critical of Christianity in these ways, but she's supportive of these other ideas. Uh, it was quite fascinating. It was great. Um, but this investment in pop culture and, and religion together in that moment was really uh, kind, kind of a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah, that's, that sounds like that can be a great pedagogical moment just because, you know, I teach in a, at an institution that has no religious affiliation, but Sometimes students are coming from largely, you know, a couple of different backgrounds or, you know, um, not, not a very diverse spread. And so oftentimes they will then cluster according to their opinions or things like that. And when you can throw something like, you know, Lady Gaga fandom into the equation right. yeah. and maybe the line suddenly, you know, sort of cross the class differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a neat point. I think, yeah. you know, there are interesting things that can happen that I think are, are useful in the classroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was I was personally delighted to see that there was the the musicological perspective in the book. Um, I actually had a, a musicologist contribute to my uh, my edited volume from a number of years ago on um, religion, science fiction. Right. Uh, and music is a is a big interest of mine. And so I'm actually hoping to do more on sort of the intersection of religion and music 
um, probably won't be uh, up-to-date music. It'll be older right. music of some sort, um, showing my age, but hopefully still worth engaging with. But yeah, so for about uh, just to make sure uh, before we run out of time uh, for today's episode, uh, we talk about the book uh, yet again and bring the book squarely back into the attention of people oh, listening yeah, so that they're thinking book. about oh. it. And one question um, I had noted down to, to ask you early on, but we didn't get to because we jumped right in and had so much that we were eager to talk about is it's called The Myth Awakens. And how did myth end up being a focus? And you know, what does that mean sort of within the context of religious studies and in the context of the study of Star Wars? Um, I honestly don't remember um, <laughs> how that came about. It was part of that initial conversation, which was, you know, I, I, I don't know if you are you part of steering committees at all at the AR? Mm -hmm. yep. yeah, those conversations tend to be very um, kind of ad hoc and people are throwing things around. And as the chair, I'm just kind of noting stuff, right? And then I, I try to cobble together like a, a call for papers and send it out to the, to the committee for their approval and all of that. And um, somehow I think myth came up early on. Um, and uh, my sense of it um, is that there was, um, we were, I mean, I, I tried to explain this in, in my account of the book is that uh, in the preface that, um, what we thought we were seeing was um, a response to Star Wars that kind of reminded us of, of responses to um, uh, challenges to interpretations of, of traditional sort of mythologies or, or sacred texts. Um, and so it, it seemed as if, you know, the, the folks who were angry at the trailer to The Force Awakens um, were having that kind of response, you know, like this, this is not okay because it's a violation of canon. Um, and, and that notion of canon seemed kind of very closely tied to myth. Um, so it was, it, was very, um, it was very kind of speculative at that, that moment, because again, we were just sort of tossing balls around in the air, you know, trying to see you know, what, what kinds of things you know, might, might draw uh, papers uh, or paper proposals for the next year's conference. Um, and, uh, and that one seemed to resonate, uh, this notion of, of myth and conservatism and fandom. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, so we got several papers that we quite liked. And then the, the, I mean, the, the thing that caused the book to happen was just the, the session itself. Um, there was such a strong response. Uh, we had a lot of people come to the session. Um, we had great conversations and then, you know, it was a couple of people coming up to me afterwards saying, you know, uh, like this should be a book. Um, and so I thought, okay, um, <laughs> you know, that just really had never occurred to me. Um, and, and it also, I mean, made sense kind of, uh, uh, in retrospect, I mean, one of the main conversations around Star Wars has been, um, has involved the Joseph Campbell's notion of monomyth. And I mean, in some ways, that's kind of a tired conversation at this point. That's one of the few sort of ongoing conversations that connect religion with Star Wars. Um, and, you know, those people who have thought much about this, I mean, they all, they know that, you know, George Lucas was very deliberate when he was drawing on Campbell's ideas to write, you know, the, the films initially. Um, uh, and and I wasn't and and so and several people um, you know talk about Campbell in the book uh, you know which is I mean for me not a thing I would have done uh, but um, but that's still been where the conversation has largely kind of taken place um, and I like the fact that the people who do talk about it like you know John's a good example of this you know that that might be a starting point but then you know John quickly moves on so he says you know for. For Campbell, uh, myth is not political, but clearly, you know, in John's view, uh, Star Wars is political. So you can't just reduce it to this kind of, um, uh, you know, 
personal psychological sort of mythological approach. Um, and uh, so I quite like that. Uh, but again, I, you know, I think you, it, there's lots of room to move from here, right? Um, you know, uh, to, to talk about Star Wars in relation to all kinds of things, right? Um, you know, ritual studies, for example, right? Looking at rituals within the films, looking at rituals of fan communities, um, you know, doing those kinds of ethnographies. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work now emerging uh, on online religious practices. Uh, and, you know, that could be something that, that would be easily um, connected to things like Star Wars fandom if people wanted to do that. Um, so I think there's lots of places to go, but it just kind of came out of that. And then, you know, we just liked the, the parallel between, you know, saying the myth awakens and the force awakens. Um, so that was just kind of at the level of, um, you know, that, that kind of synchronicity. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good to see that even if it's mostly articles and, you know, sort of popular venues and things like that, that people keep making, you know, decent puns and Star Wars, uh, right. some opportunities. Um, one of my favorites is um, the fandom menace. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, um, I think I came across in the bibliography at some point. Yeah. Uh, but let me, yeah, so let me uh, say thank you because I, I think we're getting towards the end of our time here. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me about this book. And let me uh, first say, if you're a Star Wars fan who's at all interested in religion, you need to read this book. If you are somebody who studies religion, who has even the slightest interest in Star Wars or popular culture uh, or fandom as phenomena, you need to read this book. If you're interested in both equally, then you not only need to read this book, but you need to read it thinking about what other books can you provide for those of us who are interested in this intersection or are fans of uh, one or the other or engaged in the study of one or the other, uh, because it's, um, it's filling in a gap that many of us didn't even realize was there somehow, despite a big interest in the intersection of religion and science fiction. And having identified a gap, what scholars normally do, um, and hopefully we'll do in this instance, is mm. get in there and start digging and start talking and start researching. Um, and as uh, Ken said in the podcast, and as a number of authors uh, make the point in the book, there's lots of room to engage with uh, the popular culture expression and exploration and presentation in Star Wars of things to do with race, gender, leadership, uh, politics, uh, terrorism, uh, violence, uh, all these things. And so there's there are so many threads there. Uh, I just, I, I'm delighted to have had the chance to read the book and to uh, talk with Ken about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing where some of those threads will lead others to uh, continue the conversation because that's what academics do and that's what fans do. So Ken, thank you for being here to talk about uh, the book today. Thank you, this was, uh, this was fun. Yeah, I, I had fun too. Um, no surprises there though. Hopefully the listeners had fun too. And so uh, to those who've been listening along with us, uh, thank you for listening and uh, bye for now. <laughs>